0: Tactics lagged some way behind tactics in the field, but by the middle of the 14th century something resembling an English navy could be deployed to protect the coasts and attack enemy shipping. It is undeniable that during the Plantagenet years many acts of savagery, butchery, cruelty and stupidity were committed, but by 1399, where this book ends, the chilly island realm that had been conquered by William the Bastard of Normandy in 1066, had been transformed into one of the most sophisticated and important kingdoms in Christendom. At its heart lay the power and prestige of the royal family. That is the process described in this book, but this is also a book written to entertain, it is a narrative history, and it tells some of the great stories of England. They include the civil war between Stephen and Matilda, the murder of Thomas Beckett by Henry II's knights, the Great War of 1173-1174, to 1174. Richard I's wars against Saladin on the Third Crusade, the Barons' war against King John and the ratification of the Magna Carta, Henry III's hapless attempts to deal with the barons of a later age, including his brother-in-law and nemesis Simon de Montfort, Edward I's campaigns in Wales and Scotland, Edward II's peculiar romance with Piers Gaveston and his dismal abdication in 1327, Edward III's provocation of the Hundred Years' War in which he fought alongside his son the Black Prince and captured the King of France, and the subsequent institution of the Order of the Garter to celebrate England's new martial supremacy, the scourge of the Black Death. Richard II's heroism against Wat Tyler's rebels during the Peasants' Revolt of 1381, which was followed by Richard's tyranny and his final fall. These stories are exciting in their own right. They are also part of a historical canon that still, even in the cultural chaos of the twenty-first century, defines England as a nation and as a people. The Plantagenet kings did not just invent England as a political, administrative, and military entity, they also helped invent the idea of England, an idea that has as much importance today as it ever had before. This is a long book, and it could have been longer still. For ease of reading I have divided the text into seven sections. Part I, Age of Shipwreck, illustrates the dismal state to which England had sunk by the end of its period of Norman rule, which began under William the Conqueror and continued during the reigns of two of his sons, William Rufus and Henry I. After the death of the latter, a vicious and paralysing civil war engulfed England and Normandy. It was fought between rival claimants, the Conqueror's grandson King Stephen, and his granddaughter Empress Matilda, and it took nearly two decades to resolve it in favour of the latter. During that time England was effectively partitioned between two courts and two competing governments, leaving public authority splintered, and the countryside a smouldering ruin, infested with mercenaries. Only with the accession of Matilda's son, her eldest child by Geoffrey Plantagenet, a dishevelled, quick-tempered, but brilliant boy known as Henry Fitz-Empress, was the realm reunited and restored to good governance. Henry Fitz-Empress became Henry II, and through a combination of some good fortune, immense personal energy, and a great deal of military capability and hard-headed purpose, Henry set about establishing himself, and by association the English crown, as the master of a patchwork of territories, reaching from the borders of Scotland to the foothills of the Pyrenees. The story of Henry II's rule over his vast dominions and their gradual, if unintended, coherence into a form of empire is the subject of Part Two: Age of Empire. It charts Henry's astonishing conquests, his catastrophic dispute with his one-time best friend Thomas Becket, and the King's struggles with his feckless children and extraordinary wife Eleanor of Aquitaine, which some contemporaries believed were divine punishment for Becket's death. Age of Empire also explores Henry's revolutionary reforms of English law, justice, and bureaucracy, reforms that gave England legal processes and principles of government that endured for centuries. Despite the feats and achievements of his astonishing reign, Henry II is one of the lesser known Plantagenet kings. Not so his third son Richard I, the Lionheart, who inherited the Plantagenet Empire in 1189 during the white heat of Europe's most enthusiastic crusading years. Richard, who spent a surprisingly small amount of time in England, given the heroic st-